Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of catholic faith in the new york city metropolitan area please be sure to download the veritas catholic radio network mobile so that you can have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. Of course, if you'd like to give some feedback, you could go on the website, catholic.com. Uh, there'll be a section there for you to offer feedback to us. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, or anywhere in between, we certainly uh, value your opinion. And finally, if you'd, if you'd like, please follow Joe and I on social media. You could find us at the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV, primarily on YouTube. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Professor Russell Berman. And Russell has written an article recently in First Things Magazine, uh, State of Emergency. That is the title of the article. Uh, all of you know one of the things that Joe and I do, we try to look at you know what's going on out there, try to pinpoint those who really are spot on, uh, whether they're writing a book, an article, whether it's in First Things, whether it's in Crisis Magazine, wherever it might be, if it's something that Joe and I feel is worthy to talk about, we're going to talk about it on the show. Russell was gracious enough. We sent him an invitation to come on the show, and he agreed to do so. So we're very excited to be talking to Professor Berman um, about the state of emergency. And I want to give a, a brief bio. Russell A. Berman, the Walter A. Haas Professor in the Humanities at Stanford, is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and chair of the working group on the middle east and the islamic world at stanford he's a member of both the department of german studies and the department of comparative literature he has received many honors and awards including a mellon faculty fellowship at harvard 1982 and 83 and alexander von humboldt fellowship in 88 and 89 he received his ba in 1972 from harvard and his doctorate from washington university in 1979 professor russell berman welcome to the front line with joe and joe joe thanks so much for having me here i'm looking forward to our conversation absolutely if you ask me it's going to be a barn burner so with that uh with that i'm going to hand it over to joe resinella uh, <clears throat> Professor Berman, we always start with the prayer. It's our custom. So uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Professor Berman uh, told us before the show that he's a Boston guy, so we love him that much more, actually. That's right. <laughs> so it's good stuff. We're going to be talking uh, to mostly our folks in Fairfield County, Connecticut, so I'm sure they can appreciate that. Um, as Joe said, we're going to be discussing the state of emergency. It's a recent article that's in First Things, and in it, 
uh, Professor Berman, he gives an example of certain shocks to the system over recent years that have led to illiberalism. Um, Russell, could you please give us a couple of examples of, of this, of how illiberalism is justified by invocations of the state of emergency? Uh, Joe, sure. Thanks for the question. And again, thanks for having me here. Let me back up a little bit. Uh, we're in we're in strange times. Um, all times may be strange. These are very strange times. Uh, it's a time in which um, uh, liberals are often acting in illiberal ways. And people who aren't necessarily liberal conservatives find themselves defending liberal rights. So things are turning a little topsy turvy here. What's up? Um, I, you know, we're at a at a uh, turning point in the globalization that has uh, politics economy in the past couple of um, conflicts, uh, the competition with China, and now the war in Ukraine. So it's very dramatic. Uh, Argue, shock have led um, leadership to um, move toward illiberal, illiberal measures or an inclination to illiberal measures that run under the flag of um, state of emergency. What do I mean by that? Um, a big, big game changer, I believe. Was the uh, has been the internet? I mean, that that sounds trivial. Everybody can say that, but what I mean in particular is this: when the internet, I'm, I'm speaking to you from California. When the internet was rolling out, uh, there was a lot of uh, optimism about it as a force for democratization, give everybody a voice. Everybody could could, um, could voice their opinion and 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 gain a public. Um, to some extent, actually, that really happened. Right? Everybody can get on the internet. And all of a sudden, the traditional gatekeepers, the opinion makers, are now uh, uh, some wildly false, some just divergent, some nonconformist can circulate. And they're no longer subject to control by the editorial board of the Washington Post or the New York Times. The gatekeepers have been, um, they have not by no means lost all their authority, but they have can no longer uh, the circulation of opinion. Um, uh, you, you mentioned um, somewhat unkindly that I graduated with my B from 1972, so you're versed to listeners can figure out my age. You know, I grew up at a time when uh, you know there were three networks and they all gave you the same news in the, at, the, at, at six o'clock in the evening. Uh, now we get news, we consume news very, very, very differently uh, any time of day, and uh, we can construct our own um, our own feeds uh, to get the opinions that we want to want to hear. Um, one one response to that has been the discussion about so-called fake news. As I said before, there's stuff on the internet that is patently wrong. Right? Uh, but when you start talking about fake news, the next step can only be censorship, uh, whether it's done, done by the government or done by the um, by industry. And it's liberal and it me illiberal. what point are my to be censored because some authority will declare them fake well russell isn't fake i mean let's just, just stay there for one second but 
fairness isn't that very subjective? I mean, I don't know why people why people would buy into this or in any way. Who's deter who's who's you mentioned the gatekeepers? Okay, what standard are they using to determine what's fake news, what's not? And they'll say, well, what's true? But then again, they're trying to tell something that we can obviously see with our eyes is not true. It's like, don't believe your lying eyes, okay? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, that type of thing. Like, who's going to determine what fake news is? And in a free market of ideas, why should there be anybody determining that? In a free marketplace of ideas in the internet, you say something that I think is foolish and stupid and a lie, I could come online and I could rebut what you're, I could refute what you're saying. It's a free marketplace. Am I wrong about that? Uh, yeah, I'm with I'm with you, but uh, I uh, I see um, uh, movements toward restrictions of that free marketplace of ideas, uh, um, uh, disallowing uh, certain claims. We, you know, President President Trump uh, banned Twitter. Uh, uh, the uh, the recent effort by the Biden administration to establish a disinformation governance board, which has not been canceled, it has only been suspended, and we don't know what's going to going to come back. My point, though, more broadly, is that uh, align with your comment now, Joe. Uh, when we start talking about fake news as a problem that has to be uh, addressed it's very likely that the answer is going to be some form of censorship, whether it's the government that carries it out or whether the government puts pressure on private industry to carry it out is really secondary. That's, that's one point. You're asking me how we get to state of emergency. State of emergency is the opinion makers are freaking out that. The Secondly, the, the climate discussion, uh, I won't dwell on as, uh, as extensively, but it's been phrased so much in terms of an ultimate catastrophe. We're always at two minutes to midnight, right? It's always about to be the end of uh, life as we've known it. Uh, but we've been hearing that for so many years, uh, we've become a little bit inured to that. Uh, nonetheless, the insistence that we're facing a dramatic and existential crisis all the time pushes toward the state of emergency. Two other examples of what are the shocks to the system that generate the uh, apparent um, calls for emergency declarations. Uh, politically, I think the 2016 presidential election was a, was a shock to the system, uh, not only because President Trump was elected, but because also because Bernie Sanders almost became the Democratic candidate. Mm -hmm. The way I phrase this, and this is a kind of bipartisan phrasing, so please appreciate that. Uh, in both major parties, there was effectively a, um, a populist upsurge against the respective establishments. In the Republican Party, it was Trump against the Republican establishments many of whom then turned into the Republican never-Trumpers. Uh, uh, and in the Democratic Party, it was the, uh, the Sanders wing that was, uh, that was rebelling against the Democratic establishment. The populist wing, the populist revolt in the Democratic Party lost, and Hillary Clinton became the candidate. The populist revolt in Trump's and the Republican side won. My point is not to relitigate that election or to... Uh, to, 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 to take sides here, but just to note that all of a sudden, something really unexpected happened in one party and almost happened in the other party too. And I think there's been an 
instinctive response on the part of the establishment saying, wow, we've got to get this under control. We've got to manage opinion. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to um, uh, uh, keep, keep, keep order right? mm-hmm. uh, in a way that we used to keep order. And all of that came home to roost, I think, in the, um, in the COVID crisis, right? I'm not a COVID denier. I think there really has been a pandemic. Maybe it's almost over. Uh, let's hope so. Uh, uh, I think it's, it, it was wise to take certain kinds of measures, but the way it was framed, uh, it was explicitly a state of emergency in, 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 in all states. And that state of emergency allowed for an accrual of executive authority the state level primarily uh, uh, to do um, to to take steps that restricted the liberties that we are uh, accustomed to be thankful for um, mm-hmm. uh, freedom of travel um, uh, freedom of religion freedom of association to curtailed um, and frankly freedom of speech because those who were critical of um, some of the COVID measures some who uh, talked to you know uh, proposed the lab leak theory for example were vilified and in some cases and uh, from there we had a real state of emergency that led specifically to limitations on freedom and that's what i'm worried about russell i want to back up for a second okay joe please no i was gonna say russell berman is joining with joe and joe joe pasillo and joe rosanello and this is a conversation we are way in the brief russell has written an article called the state of emergency uh and you could find the the written article this is an extensive article um at first things but we're here talking about it at the front line with joe and joe joe rosanello you said about like the you know the expression of information and basically you know the elites had to basically curtail that. That to me says very clearly we're not living in a democracy. That this is an oligarchy, and they're almost like, listen, I cannot have you believe this or say this. This has to go through a filter. That goes against everything this country is about. We have a free press. We have a free press. And I would agree with you wholeheartedly. The elites on both sides of the aisle control that through a filter. And they do not want people to speak, even if it's true. And let's be honest, there are things that have been said that are true. They cannot have that comment on that because i think that's one of the things that i when i read your article like there's people that would vehemently deny that they would say the deep state what are you talking about what are you talking about that points directly to an oligarchy that we control the information i'm not interested in what you have to say i want your vote and that's where it ends what are your thoughts on that um yeah lots of thoughts um now, the the strongest argument to worry about disinformation is that bad foreign players, Putin, tries to influence uh, American public opinion through the insertion of, of false claims in their circulation, um, maybe to influence elections. I, um, I, I don't doubt that that might, uh, might happen. Uh, uh, I think uh, 
foreign countries are often trying to intervene in public opinion in uh, uh, in, in 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 all countries. Uh, uh, in the United States, uh, foreign agents like that have to have to register as lobbyists, and that's just part part of the system. But um, I'm not convinced that Putin's efforts to influence the election really had a significant effect. Uh, there's no there's no evidence of that, and that's the that's the interesting point. More generally, though, uh, Joe. I think we do live in a democracy, and I think we live in a system that wants to be a democracy, but it is subject to oligarchical pressures. That is, there are some very rich people who can uh, deploy their resources to try to shape public opinion, and they're going to have more resources than I. I'm not an oligarch. Uh, I, 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 I don't, we're, we're not living in Putin's Russia, we're living in the United States of America, where we can have this conversation, and I'm fairly confident that you're going to be able to uh, to broadcast it, right? uh, uh, even though it's going to be at odds with oligarchic opinion. So I think I think we're living in a democracy that faces pressure from establishment forces that want to control opinion. Uh, the um, uh, so, 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 so I'm with you, but I also think that we should not, we should not lose sight of the fact that you know we can speak up and we can criticize and we can protest and we should. I think when we do, I, I think we've seen we've seen signs of hope out there. I think when we do and we 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 stand up to the bullies. Let's face it, that's what they are. They're bullies. That's 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 what you know. Those who would aspire to be tyrants usually are. We see the things that they do. One thing, Professor Russell Berman, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, that I don't understand is how. And I want you to just touch on this briefly. Give our audience some examples, probably in recent history, where a quote unquote state of emergency manufactured probably has been used to 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 uh, uh, allow those who would rule uh the ability to amass more power to the state not necessarily even just in america why we need to be on guard for this that it's not conspiracy theory to say wait a minute you're, you're telling us all these things and your solution to it is for us to give you this much more power that we don't want to. But tell our audience some recent examples in modern history where this has been used, this state of emergency tactic has been used to, to for the oligarchs to grant themselves more power. <clears throat> the, yeah, it's, oligarch is a very specific term, uh, but I think the, the, the crux of the matter is when does a declaration of state of emergency um, uh, have what kinds of consequences? You know, let's not let, let, let's not forget. I mean, there can be real emergencies, right? That tsunami is heading toward Manhattan, right? Or there's a I'm sitting I'm sitting in the Bay Area. There's an earthquake here. There could well be justification for a state of emergency. So there could be um, uh, unrest that would uh, lead to the. Um, uh, lead to reasons to suspend uh, um, Miranda declarations, for example. I don't deny that that might well happen. We should be able to defend our system against real emergencies. The question is whether those declarations of emergencies uh, are instrumentalized to, um, uh, to, to, to uh, accrue power or demonstrate a kind of uh, um, uh, political agenda in terms of um, uh, the uh, the powers that be, uh, I, I don't have to go to ancient history. Just just think back to uh, you know, the COVID era 
and the um, the summer of the BLM riots, the, the George Floyd, Floyd riots. And we were being told, well, first we were told that we shouldn't buy masks, then we were told that we should get masks and that we should use masks all the time, except, oh, by the way, when you go to the uh, BLM demonstrations, you don't need masks. So all of a sudden, it was as if the circulation of the virus was contingent on one's political position. This is th this, I think, is a is a school book uh, example of the um, uh, political bias in the utilization of the extraordinary powers that state of emergency can confer. Again, there may well be cases where you want a state of emergency. In my article, I talk about the whole notion that the Constitution is not a suicide pact. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we want we want a state that can defend itself. Well, uh, def define that if you if you don't mind, Russell, because I know that probably Joe was going to go there anyway with the, with the next question. To hash that out a little bit as far as what what does that mean? Where does that phrase come from, and and how does that impact this uh, affect this conversation that we're having today? Okay, so the the notion that the Constitution is not a suicide pact is a phrase in, uh, in, in, in U.S. constitutional law. And it, 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 the Constitution uh, is, of the United States is one that, in fact, allows for limited government uh, in order to protect the rights of the citizens and, and the states. But some judicial thinkers believe there may be situations in which the government has to take steps that would curtail constitutionally guaranteed uh, guaranteed liberties. Um, uh, the, um, the, the historic example before the utilization of this phrase was when Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus, suspended the need to justify arrests uh, uh, in the context of the outbreak of the, uh, the Civil War. We faced a real insurrection there, not not some 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 faux insurrection, not some pseudo insurrection, but the southern states were rebelling, and 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 Washington, the capital, was was in danger. Therefore, the executive authority, the president, suspended rights in order to protect the uh, viability of the state. I think that was probably a right decision. It was unconstitutional. Uh, uh, the notion that the Constitution is not a suicide pact that that phrase goes back to Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson of 1949, where he, uh, he, 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 he contributed to a case, we don't have to get into the details, but saying that, yes, we have freedom of speech, but if it's freedom of speech that's inciting to a riot, you know, the state has to guarantee order. The Constitution is not a suicide pact. And the phrase was, re, was, uh, was um, uh, are uh, repeated again in 1960s by Justice Goldberg in a in a case about the draft. We don't again. We don't have to get into the details of those cases. But you want we 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 cherish our constitution because it protects our liberties. There might be some real situations where the state should defend order against uh, excessive liberty, excessive utilization of liberty, uh, and therefore. States of emergency can be a um, framework in which the, um, the sovereign, the state, uh, the government acts to protect order, but it shouldn't be the normal state of affairs. The normal state of affairs should be one of uh, freedom.
we, we, Russell, we're going to come back to that point after the break, but but uh, but uh, let's get to a couple other things before the break because I want to come back to that after the break. Uh, you're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosinello. We are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network with Professor Russell Berman, and we're discussing his recent article in First Things Magazine, uh, which is the state of emergency. This is an important conversation. When you hear it, especially if you're downloading it on the podcast, send it to your friends, share it. Uh, Professor Berman's got a lot to say about this and we're we're going to scratch the surface i would encourage everyone to go on first things after listening to this and read the article it's an extensive article where russell gives examples like he was just talking about uh like uh, suspension of habeas corpus and other things it's more in depth a lot more than we could get into here but we're trying with that joe resinello you talked about basically you know the constitution isn't a suicide pact we saw in the 2020 election and i'm going to focus particularly on pennsylvania where you saw judges extend voting times now clarence thomas wrote extensively about the danger of that and the supreme court refused to take that case now i'm not saying that that would have changed the outcome of that state but Is that such a situation, an emergency where, let's be honest, the state, through the legislation, the voting of the people, decide the election laws, and and they usurp that? Clarence Thomas wrote, and I invite all people to read what he, he said, that that is dangerous. Justice Roberts did not take that case. Please comment on that. Is that an example of what we're talking about? Uh, It's... um... It, 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 it's in the same universe. Yes, it is. It's, uh, uh, I, I don't know if the Pennsylvania judges were talking specifically about state of emergency, but I believe their logic was COVID makes us uh, change the rules uh, and uh, therefore abracadabra, I judge in Pennsylvania, appointed, elected, whatever, I can decide how, how this, this, this is going to work. Uh, that um was probably unconstitutional uh i'm not a supreme court justice i trust uh, justice thomas on this i believe the uh, terms of uh, elections are reserved for state legislatures not for not not for the courts uh uh why justice roberts wouldn't take it i can't say uh but uh i i there's one of the features of our democracy um, and again, this is a this is a bipartisan comment now. Is a um, increased um, predisposition to doubt the outcome of elections. Uh, this uh, um, we're we're familiar with uh, President Trump and the and the 2020 election, but it really goes back to the 2000 election, the hanging chad election in in Florida. Um, uh, Democrats have criticized Republicans for trying to disqualify the um, electoral votes of some states, but Democrats who've done that in the past as well. Um, both parties are playing um, uh, uh, fast and loose, I think, with uh, with the terms of elections. We live in this terribly litigious society uh, where everything is up for a lawsuit, uh, and the um, and this includes the outcome of elections. So there's a fragility in democracy there. If by democracy, one of the meanings of democracy is you have elections and the results, um, um, the results uh, are determining. 
it, it really bothers me and and I and we are a bit partisan I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that Russell Berman joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe I understand the the idea that Republicans do it too but it just seems to me that the Democrats recently have shown no they don't have any limits on what um, on what they're they're capable of doing whether it was trying to use covid whether it's trying to use like i'll give you an example they you just mentioned or you mentioned earlier about the, this this uh, um uh, the ministry of disinformation whatever it is yeah. it's only been suspended okay those who perpetrate or or spread disinformation and misinformation are the ones who want to control what they consider to be disinformation and misinformation because i feel like we've been we've been we've been fed a lot of malarkey um over the last let's say let's call it since since trump decided to come on the scene okay um and probably before then like we're always being fed this line i wonder who's given the misinformation quick comment on that russell we have about two minutes before we go to the break and then we'll get into some more meat on the other side well with regard specifically to the uh suspended uh uh, office of uh, disinformation governance or whatever it was called, uh, you're absolutely right. The uh, proposed uh, head of it was uh, uh, thoroughly culpable of spreading disinformation on, on a number of issues. Uh, uh, she's, she's withdrawn her, uh, her, her, her candidacy, I guess. Uh, but um, uh, listen, uh, I think sometimes it's useful to try to be bipartisan in, uh, in objective analysis. Uh, but I agree with you fully that there's a fundamental asymmetry in the standard behavior of the of the two parties, uh, uh, um, for better or for worse. You know, um, Democrat, excuse me, Republicans have been um, sorry for the gendering of this term, gentlemanly uh, in, in elections. In <laughs> be the careful, way, be in, careful there, Russell. Be careful. You don't want to you don't want to get us in, in, in yourself the, in trouble. But go ahead. In, in the way, in the way, in the way, Democrats are not. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the uh, um, you know what, what was the uh, phrase? Uh, um, uh, you know, if they bring a knife to the fight, you bring a gun. Uh, um, I think that I uh, yeah. In in a sense, it's too bad that that. It's that that uh, now everybody's bringing a gun. Um, right. Uh, Let, let's take a quick break. Russell Berman joining us here at the front line with Joe and the, Joe and Joe. The article that Russell's written is state of emergency. You can read the full article at First Things, and we're very uh, honored that Russell has agreed to come on the show and discuss this with Joe and I. So you're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We have another great segment coming up on the other side of the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app.
Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We are way, way, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We have Russell Berman on our show today, and we are discussing his recent article in First Things Magazine, State of Emergency. With that, I'm handing it over to Joe Racinello. Russell, in your article, another thing that I thought was very interesting and very accurate was you said basically the politically correct context as far as how we're supposed to speak is not that of the common man. It's basically dictated from the elite. And I see that I live in New Jersey. It's a blue state, but I live in a middle-class town and many people are Democrats. The Democrat in say my neighborhood who say is a state trooper does not have the same thought process as say the Democrat on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. James Carville, who is a Democratic strategist, put it this way. He said, the people at the University of Chicago are not speaking the same language as the people on the South Side of Chicago, yet they lead us to believe that yes, that is the case. And this is what you said in the article. You said minority communities assumed to be progressive often display cultural conservative currents at odds with the liberal ideology. Residents in disadvantaged communities are not eager to lose police protection, speaking specifically about that, no matter how loudly liberal, liberals clamor for defunding the police. I know it's a larger question. You could address both issues, police versus language, but I'm interested in your comments. Which uh, uh, the, the the policing of language is a um, consequence of uh, um, highly educated, I guess it counts me too, uh, people, liberals, which doesn't count me, uh, trying to project their norms onto the language um, of the people. And uh, as, as Carville points out, uh, that's not the way normal people speak. Uh, and, it's, and it's not making inroads into the speech of normal people. Uh, 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 most people of Hispanic background have no idea what Latinx is. Uh, but uh, this is the uh, this is university speak for a way to avoid gendering that 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 term. So it's not Latino, not Latina, because you have to have a third gender too. So Latinx. Uh, uh, I suppose that may make sense in some academic department. It makes no sense outside of the borders of the university, uh, and 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 all the other efforts to control speech are. Um, uh, have have a very little echo uh, in uh, in the population at large. Maybe the real function of those efforts to control speech is not so much to get people to use that, but to exercise control. I think this is the point where liberalism itself becomes repressive, where liberalism itself becomes illiberal in its efforts to restrict others speech. Uh, now, the, the specific um, uh, I would say, uh, example, the um, uh, uh, we should reduce uh, uh, policing um, anywhere, but especially in uh, communities that face uh, high crime rates, uh, makes no sense, makes no sense to ideologues who don't have to know. 
and anything. We're from New Jersey, Russell. Okay, we've seen what the lack of policing, okay, or lax policing could do. I mean, the place is a war zone. We we've done uh, some work with some uh, Franciscan friars that have a um, they have a. a, a Award in Newark. One of the friars I remember telling me one time, he says, Joe, I've been every place in the world, some of the worst places in the world. This is the worst place in the world. They would make you believe that those people that are living in Central Ward in Newark, let's say, don't hate the police or don't want the police. But again, it's a narrative that they have to try to peddle. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why I'm glad Joe asked that question and why you addressed it in your article at First Things is that, no, no, minority communities are not monolithic. I've said, I've said about Hispanic Americans, if Hispanic Americans really knew who, for the most part, are Christian in general and Catholic in particular, if they really knew what the, what the Democrat Party stood for on a number of issues, they'd never vote Democrat. And I think that's one of the reasons why they have to control information is because they don't want minority communities um, hearing ab about exactly what, let's say, in the case of Democrats, what they stand for. You know, and let's let me segue real quick, Russell, from that. Russell Berman joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe to something we really need to get into. And I want to make sure we do that feeling if we wanted to. We could go on for hours. But this is an important one. I think it's important for you to address. Um, you uh, you wrote in your article, in this article, in First Things, in our current situation, quote, in addition to government measures, a public-private partnership is emerging that seeks to coerce behavior and opinion into ideological grooves. Please describe this partnership, Russell Berman, and why it's so dangerous to our liberties. Well, the the... the private-public partnership is the form that censorship had been taking when uh, Congress, Democratic Congress, was pushing the, um, um, the, uh, the, the social media companies to, uh, to restrict opinion. The uh, um, uh, banning of President Trump from, uh, from Twitter was you know, maybe the most egregious example, but there were all sorts of positions that were just not allowed to circulate. Uh, and um, you know, with with of course uh, the expected ideological bias that kind of forms of left wing extremism they're not subject to censorship, but uh, but uh, but center right positions may well be. Uh, the the um, uh, you know, up until the proposed uh, disinformation governance board, this was being outsourced. Uh, Etc. To limit what can be said, and the of course the um, often liberal um, mid-level uh, employees in these industries were very very happy to comply. Um, uh, um, the with the disinformation governance board, there was a step almost taken to take this back into government, uh, and the. Point is that uh, you know, sometimes we think about uh, government versus industry, but here it was a significant part of the government cooperating with uh, industry in order to public discussion. Yeah, and 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 I, I mean, in our lifetimes, Joe and I are in our early fifties. Right? I, I mean, in our lifetimes, we remember the most hated business they hated industry they hated these multi <laughs> used to be multi-billionaires now it's multi-hundred tens of billionaires when you talk about the wealth that they have they're all in bed with each other now yeah, in other words yeah. all of a sudden all of a sudden the left loves 
guys who are worth tens of billions of dollars. They love Bill Gates. They love these guys. They loved Elon Musk up until about two months ago when he decided he was going to take over Twitter. Uh, but we're not going to get into that too much. Thank you for that, uh, Russell Berman, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? I want to talk about something uh, you, you said uh, bef uh, before that last question about the police. You basically said that that was kind of a crazy idea, and, and I think it was, um, this idea that you're going to stand down. I, I've never seen anything like it. I did not live through the riots in the 60s, but I did see the riots in 2020, particularly in Minneapolis-St. Paul. I, to, I cannot understand how you allow a mob to burn a police station down in the United States of America. I don't care what you stand for. I don't understand that. And then we see in cities like New York, which I work in, I commute there every day. I have seen the change. Russell, you should see Manhattan now. It's Back in the 70s, in the times of like Escape from New York movies. Back to the bad old days. It, yep. I, it is. A, it clearly had an impact. And what I want to throw out to you is these are smart people that are making these decisions. Um, was it to create instability? Was it specifically to create instability? Because like you said, neighborhoods, if you live in the Bronx and now it's unsafe to take the subway, if you and I, Russell, own a CVS there, we may shut down. Businesses will leave, which makes your life harder, and you're not helping the people you're saying you're trying to help. Was that done on purpose to create instability? Now, I'm entering a realm of conspiracy, and, and frankly, you're a very level-headed person. I'm interested in your thoughts because I cannot logically understand how someone would say this is a good idea. Um. I, I understand uh, why you why you why you come to that hypothesis, and yeah, it may not be thoroughly wrong. I do think there's sometimes a uh, a danger in imputing too much rationality to the system. Sometimes just craziness happens, uh, uh, and you have to ask why they're not acting. Uh, well, you know, they're women. Uh, they're ideologically uh, aligned. Uh, maybe it's because uh, uh, they want to create instability. Uh, uh, clearly, there's been a divide between uh, uh, that part of the population that has to go out and work for a living and that part of the population that could stay at home in front of screens. Um, uh, uh, you know, small businesses have suffered and Amazon delivers. Uh, uh, but I think I will not, I, I, I won't blame this all on Amazon. I will blame a big part of it on woke capitalism. Uh, I think there's a political alignment, a realignment, excuse me, going on in uh, in the United States. Uh, the uh, the the you know, blue collar voters uh, you're, you're there in uh, in Newark um, uh, who are deep um, deeply uh, loyal to the Democratic Party. I think they're moving more to the Republican side. Uh, uh, Senator Hawley has said that the Republicans will become the party of the working class. Uh, this is, uh, you know, we'll have to see if that happens, but I think there, there is a kind of fluidity in, uh, in, in, party, in party allegiance. Um, uh, just a few more things on, uh, on violence and lack of policing. The, you know, the, the so-called justification for, uh, for those riots was uh, 
was uh, anti-racism. I want to put put uh, you know note for the record that uh, in San Francisco, where I live, uh, not that far from my house, the uh, anti-racist uh, rioters tore down a uh, uh, a statue of uh, of Ulysses S. Grant, uh, who uh, you will remember um, uh, led the uh, armies against slavery in the in the Civil War. Uh, so this this was this is just insane. This there's there's no no justification for that. Uh, I, there's been uh, a, an attack on small business. I think that's uh, that that's been part of it. Um, but you know, here I'll go. I'll go at a little bit on a limb. Uh, but I think it's I think it's right. One of the effects of the um, uh, ideological attack on police uh, has been to make uh, police uh, hesitant to act. Uh, uh, some, some some police resign retired if they were close to that age. Others aren't being recruited, and some are just you know saying you know listen, I'm not going to intervene because you know no one's going to have my back. Huh? I think there's that there's that mm -hmm. uh, phenomenon as well. I have to wonder. I mean, we're we're still learning about what really transpired in the recent tragedy in Texas, but there's a criticism for, uh, circulating that the police didn't intervene. Uh, quickly enough. And I have to wonder if police didn't intervene because of this atmosphere in which the police are constantly under attack, because they know that no matter what they do, they will be demonized. No, it's a good point. I didn't think that, of it no, no. that way, but that's valid. No, it's absolutely right. Russell Berman joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasola, Joe Racinello, and The Breach on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're discussing Russell's recent article in First Things Magazine, uh, The State of emergency. Um, I will say this real quick, Russell, just a quick uh, comment. I thought 20 years ago, as I was starting to mature politically and, and all that and thinking about a lot of these things, I thought 20 years ago that realignment that you're describing would have happened then. I, I, I thought that, I, I, and I still think now, it, you know, it, this is kind of what we're seeing. The social conservative and the more blue collar um, on the one side and the more, let's face it, libertarian on the other, in, recently, I, I don't know what conservatism is. We won't get into that today. I don't know how to define conservatism anymore based on what those in mainstream conservatism are telling us we need to embrace as conservatives that guys like Joe and I, just quite frankly, Russell, um, we're not going to embrace. We're not going to try to find an accommodation on abortion. We are not in favor of transgenderism and gender ideology. We're just not. But conservatives now are trying to tell us we have to, because I think conservatism is starting to meld more into more of a libertarian, um, let's say, position. But again, that's a lot to go into. We don't want to know because there's an important aspect of your, your article, which is going to take a little bit of time and we want you to hash it out. You wrote, given our recent experience, we can identify four elements unique to our current situation that tempt our elite to pivot from Democrat governance, Democratic governance to emergency governance. And just if you, you don't mind hashing out those four elements of scientism, management of opinion. We've gotten into a little bit of this, of this already. Uh, the role of victims and guilt and targeting enemies. If you could comment on those four elements briefly, please. Sure. Uh, at that point of the article, I was trying to describe some of the uh, uh, intellectual, if you will, thought framework around the possibility of uh, a state of emergency declarations that cur curtail liberty. The first point is scientism. Scientism is a term we use. Maybe it's a little uh, academic, but it refers to 
thinking about science in a dogmatic way, in a rigid way, therefore scientism. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, you all remember the, um, the follow the science, right? Or, mm -hmm. um, uh, and the problem with that exhortation to follow the science is that scientists may disagree. In fact, the scientific method is all about disagreeing. Uh, uh, when the uh, politicians would say, well, there's a scientific consensus that X, Y, Z, they only can say that because they're excluding a bunch of scientists from the, from, from the discussion. Uh, uh, the, uh, you remember the signs, uh, you know, we believe in science. Well, you know, believing is, you know, that's you do in faith, right? Uh, in science, you should test, you should question, you should experiment. Uh, and uh, uh, the, 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 the willingness to invoke science as a, um, an alibi for the um, exercise of unquestionable authority is the, is the problem that I was trying to, trying to refer to uh, there. Um, with regard to management of opinion, uh, and we, you're right, we've talked about this already, um, the, uh, the, the efforts to constrain public discussion, especially on the internet, just a small footnote on that. When I went to college, you know, in, you know, like a bunch of centuries ago, um, th there'd be controversial issues, but you would have, you would have debates, right? The pro and the con, right? Um, uh, not that long ago in the Bay Area, um, uh, there were um, uh, uh, yeah, debates, uh, pro and con abortion, right? Uh, uh, in the Bay Area, right? Uh, now, uh, you can't have debates about the controversial issues. You could not have a public debate about COVID measures or about abortion or uh, or about uh, a, a myriad of others, other other sure. steps. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want. We're in, we're in a culture now where instead of trying to persuade your opponent, you want to deplatform your opponent. You want to silence your opponent. Uh, the third, the role of victims and guilt. Uh, uh, one way you silence the opponent is by declaring the opponent to be fundamentally guilty. And the opponent then has to internalize that guilt. And all you can say is, I'm sorry, right? Not, not you know, you know you're right, I'm right. Uh, maybe we'll find a compromise, we'll think it through. No, it's only because I'm deeply guilty. And I, I, we see this, you know, you know uh, uh, and maybe the, that uh, Ulysses S. Grant uh, example is, uh, is, is apt here. Uh, um, there have been very difficult, very um, regrettable aspects in uh, American national history, but there have been enormous accomplishments and enormous achievements uh, in terms of the pursuit of freedom, sort of pursuit of li religious liberty and pursuit of, uh, of prosperity. Um, for all of the uh, the whining about American capitalism, it has produced enormous wealth for 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 for, for a broad middle class that does not exist uh, uh, elsewhere. So there are good stories to tell, including including the abolition of slavery, and and we owe Ulysses S. Grant, bless his soul, huh? uh, a whole lot for leading the armies against that, and that they tore down that statue, and that the city won't rebuild it. Is 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 a scandal, um, uh, but it's a scandal be, that is based on the assumption that we are primarily guilty, uh, uh, and uh, and and we have to pay 
uh, obeisance to a victim narrative uh, on the on the other side, and then finally um, targeting enemies. Uh, this is uh, you know, sort of cut from the same cloth. Uh, you, you're not on a level playing field with someone else who you're looking in their eye and saying, you know, what do you think? What do I think? Let's try to let's try to figure figure this out together. It's rather a declaration of the opponent as um, as, uh, as, uh, as as a, as a, as an enemy, uh, uh, the enemy because they're sexist, because they're anti-trans, because they're racist, etc. You could now, just say deplorable, Russell. Just you know, Hillary told us you could just say deplorable. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. But I think we should recognize that sometimes deplorable is adorable, uh, and uh, the uh, um, the. Uh, we, we, we should not be forced into a corner where we become what they claim us to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but we should not be afraid to stand by our beliefs, our traditions, our, um, our, our commitment to the institutions that we regard as important, no matter how much they decry them. Professor Russell Berman joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasolo, Joe Racinolo. This is, and we have a few minutes left, but this has been a fascinating conversation. We encourage all of you out there to go on firstthings.com, firstthings.com, and read Professor Berman's article on the state of emergency. I want a 30-second comment from you, uh, Russell, because we only have about seven or eight minutes left. I know Joe wants to get into a couple of things. The problem in a lot of tearing down these statues, whether it be Ulysses S. Grant, whether it be Unepero Serra in, in California in particular, that, that civilized, okay, and brought the gospel and, and uh, to the, the Native Americans living in California, tearing down his statue. The problem, a lot of it has to do with academia and these, and these department heads and the individual professors, not to knock them because you're in academia, okay? But, but a quick comment, what do we do about that? Because these, a lot of these kids are not, not being taught to use their reason and intelligence. They're just being spoon-fed this stuff, and then they go out and tear down statues. Could you, could you comment 30 seconds on that? Yeah, listen, as I said before, uh, um, history is uh, our history, our national history, all human history is a mix of good and bad. Uh, and uh, we shouldn't shy away from talking about the bad, but we should certainly shy away from claiming it as exclusively bad, and we should be proud of our accomplishments. Uh, uh, and uh, I think it was, uh, it was uh, shameful about uh, Grant, the Grant statue, and I think it was shameful about uh, the, um, the, the, the attacks on Sarah. Uh, deeply ideological, a... a um, uh, a, a, just a, a, a subordination to a radical opinion to virtue signal. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, better than virtue signaling would be real virtue. And that's what they lack. No, thank you. Thank you for that, Professor Berman. Joe Racinello. Russell, I want to <clears throat> ask you something, because to be honest with you, you're very level-headed, and I appreciate that, actually. I try to be. I, I do. Um, and we try. I'm, we don't always succeed. No, I, I mean, I, I do, and I, that's why, I, to be honest with you, we're blessed to have you on the show, because I think you bring a very unique perspective, um, and it's an important one. I wanted to ask you this, because I think we're similar in this regard, and we're actually, we're similar in many regards, but in our working environment, I work in the corporate field, you work in academia, both of which are now under the yoke of wokeism. Both, we both deal with this, and we're both educated, and 
you, we talk about science. There are things that are put forth that make no sense. You mentioned Latinx. I'll be honest with you. You explain that. I don't even know what that was. I'm glad you talked about that. I didn't even know what that was. And there's things I have to sit through where I'll be, I'll just use an example. I'm married to an African-American woman and people will jump on the fact and they'll say, you're white, you're a racist. No, actually I'm not. I have five interracial children. I'm married to an African-American woman. You don't know me. And you're saying just because you're looking at me that I'm a racist. And I think that goes on in the, in the academic field as well. You read about things. People can't even speak at some colleges. Just speak and express an opinion in, in a kind and rational and level-headed way. How did we get here? How did we get here? Like, like, I'll be honest with you. I, I want to hear your opinion because I respect it. Uh, how we got here. Uh, super interesting question. Something I think about, uh, um, you know, I spoke a moment ago about how we should uh, talk about the good and the bad in American history. Um, you know, I think um, part of the bad is um, um, uh, Salem witch trials. Uh, a kind of uh, hysteria grips the community, uh, um, vilifies some outsiders, uh, um, uh, and uh, it's a fire that just has to burn itself out. Um, I think uh, there's a there's there, there, there's something like that in the American DNA, and the, and that wokeism is the Salem witch trials of the 21st century. Uh, uh, massive intolerance. Uh, 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 massive hostility to divergent opinion. In, um, uh, uh, um, arrogant self-confidence in self-righteousness, that's the right word, uh, that, that goes on there. So, you know, that'd be one, one part of the answer. Another part of the answer, though, is uh, uh, going back to the beginning of our conversation, I think, you know, there have been some shocks to the system, and wokeism is a way to, uh, to, to for, for the powers that be to, to you know, to kick the country in the butt and say, you know, you get better back in line, right? Uh, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, the, the wokeism, the uh, whether it's a matter of the verbal ideologues or the mobs that uh, terrorize the streets, are, um, are 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 disciplinary tools in order to uh, frighten people into um, um, in, into silence. Or, or into compliance. Yeah, I, I, one thing interesting, and then we're going to get into one final question that Joe and I feel is important. I, I One of my friends that I work with is an atheist, uh, laps, well, let's call him a former Catholic atheist libertarian, and we disagree on a lot of things. But one thing we agree on, and it pertains to what you just said, is we both agree that when, when, when an individual says that's not up for debate, then you know there's a problem. Yeah. Joe and I are Roman Catholic men. We stand firm in our faith. We're not afraid to debate anybody on our faith. That's just that simple. You want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. We will never say that's not up for debate, okay? When you hear that, that's when I think that's when the, 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 the red flag should start going off, when you're dealing with somebody who's not interested 
in in arriving or striving towards some truth. We Joe, we have two minutes left. Unfortunately, we're on radio. We have a time limit, Russell. Joe, where do you want to go for a final question for Russell Berman? Well, let's talk about like basically you 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 say this and and I I want to because I think this this ends it on a very very positive uplifting note. You say let us be confident that the elite's time is passing. Freedom can be restored. What is needed now is integrity, character, courage, and the patience to choose one's battles wisely, always with an eye on winning. We always say this before we 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 speak. You know, Joe and I, um, and we're you know, have strong opinions. We have to be people of integrity. Uh, talk about that because I think that's the solution. And I think it's a wonderful way to end the conversation. Uh, thank you. It's the, it's the end of the article too. Uh, um, I, you know, sometimes when we describe the challenges that we face, talking about wokeism and uh, limiting on opinion, et cetera, et cetera, and all that the country's been through in, in recent years, there's a tendency to um, I don't want to say overstate it, but to paint a, uh, a solely negative picture and to lose sight of the fact that humans are resilient, uh, uh, we can be creative, um, we, can, uh, we can resist this, um, but uh, we have to be smart. Uh, we have to um, not become the, um, uh, the caricature as which they represent us. Uh, uh, they call us deplorable. That's not a reason to become deplorable. We should stand by our 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 good positions. We shouldn't be afraid to examine them uh, uh, and and modify them if necessary. But uh, I, I think about winning. Absolutely. That's a great place to end it. Russell Berman, we could go on for hours, and hopefully you'll agree to come back on the show at some point in the future. We'll hash it out again. I'm sure you've got a, a lot of things a lot of things more to say. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. And thank you all out there for listening to us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faiths in the New York City metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the app. Please be sure to follow Joe and I at the Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.